Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. This is the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. So the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today are Tim Foss and Dave Clark. How are you doing, guys? Doing good. Yeah, it's a, it's a great day. Yeah, so the Sounders are coming off a 1-1 tie with Atlanta United. I think we would probably all agree that while to echo something that uh, Brian Schmetzer said in the postgame, that you, know, you, you might be able to talk yourself into the tie at LA being you know, an acceptable result and maybe one point gained. I think this one, not necessarily on the balance of play, but in terms of the expectations going in and the fact that the Sounders had the lead for 80 minutes really feels like two points dropped. Uh, they scored early. And I think the early part of the game was about as you, the first half, I think really went about exactly like basically went according to plan. I think the Sounders fully ex- expected to not have the, not win the possession battle. Uh, but I think that they figured they could find a goal one way or the other. They did early on, six-minute Raul Ruiz Diaz, which with a much better goal, I think, than I originally. At first, I said he was wide open and he kind of finished it easily. He was actually like fading away. He like the the his defender didn't really jump with him, but he was fading away and he hit a really nice across the body uh, yeah, header. I know the the commentator said free header, but the defender was there. Like it he was on him, he just didn't yeah. jump. He just didn't make as much effort as he should have. Like, it's yeah. a quality shot, too. The, the fadeaway header with power is not really difficult to pull off. And I, and I, and, and in the defender's uh, d- defense, I, that's a hard one to, that's a hard, like, it's hard to follow his, his run. I mean, he's, he's, he's jumping away from the, from the goal. Like, that's not an easy ball to defend. I think that also that run, puts the defender in a bad spot where if the defender does try to like physically challenge Rui Diaz on that, especially, you know, the defender wasn't a particularly big guy, but Rui Diaz is a fairly small player who is a very experienced striker. If you try to physically challenge him and prevent him from being able to make contact, that's pretty easy to have turn into a penalty. I mean, maybe it ends up being a soft penalty, but you don't want to, risk that and especially oh he's moving away from goal he's probably not going to do anything with that it's the wrong choice ultimately but right credit but you, to Rui Diaz you're not in the mix so you're not going to hide from any anyone when when it's placed like that and it's basically just a 1v1 battle you're you're not getting away with any sort of contact because it's just going to be obvious right so uh, that's kind of where you're going with that the defender doesn't have and shouldn't need to make a great choice 
uh, although Raul has done it twice, uh, that's not a <laughs> that's not a shot that is, it should be successful. Like that's normally one that is either so soft that even slow Brad Guzan can can catch it, or it's popped up in the air for like forty like forty yards up, um, and not a threat at all. So it's a, it's, I, a, it's fine. And I and I'd say yeah. I mean, so I think that the you know it's a, a good delivery also by Zhao Paulo. Uh, sixth goal of the year for Rui Diaz. Things going about as well as you could hope for the Sounders at the start. Not only that, but they're playing with, you know, their biggest crowd of the season. Only 11,000, but it was a full support, reasonably full supporter section. Uh, so it just had all the had all the vibes of a game that was going the Sounders way. And they were getting counter opportunities, being a little wasteful with them. But they, they had counter opportunities. They had a good penalty shout in the first half. Uh, Will Bruin gets stepped on while he's cutting back in the box kind of a weird like honestly not to dwell too much on this one but I, I was a little surprised at how easily the commentating crew kind of waved it off as some sort of like incidental contact I mean he gets his foot stepped on while he's cutting back in the penalty box on a breakaway that to me seems like a pretty easy call yeah um, you take out the plant plant leg on a, yeah. on a cutback move that's uh there's no way that he could have maintained possession there. I, I don't understand why that was considered not like it was just, Oh, it looks like he might've turned his ankle. They say, right. As yeah. we have a close up of the foot stomping on the other foot. Yeah. And like, I don't think it was, I don't want to overstate it. And I don't think it was dirty or anything, but it's a, it's a foul. You know, that's a, you get your foot stepped on in the box like that when you're making a move, it's a foul, uh, but whatever, that's not neither here nor there. Sounders had chances to, to grab a second. There were like uh, you know, three, I think that three opportunities where Christian, Will, and Raul, yeah, combinations of those three, were like a one degree angle off on a pass. Right. Um, I remember one of my favorites was I think Christian to Will, that was like well, a back post run. Well, there was um, so there was yeah there was one in the first there's two that where Will was in on goal if 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 Christian found him one of them was in the first half where uh Will makes a nice hold up play hits it back to Raul Redias puts uh Roldan in down the wing and he kind of gets stuck I think between a shot and a cross to yeah that back post kind of he split it evenly so it, right he kind of split it evenly exactly like it was uh he he misses the shot or he fails to find Bruin who is at that point like literally unmarked at the back post. Uh, I mean, we've all done it playing like FIFA where you, you just get the the aim off yeah. a little bit. It's a, it's either a shot or an assist that he should have had, but yeah. Yeah, and, that, and then he had another one where uh, he gets the ball in space, forces the defender to come to him. Bruin ends up being left all alone on the right wing, and he really all he had to do was kind of roll it to – to Bruin into Bruin's path and he would have been in on goal but instead he pushes, pushes him out wide chance goes spades anyway there's a it was a, a game that was kind of marked I thought by a lot of these just little bit missed opportunities of getting out on the break and having a chance to to get in uh, Brad Smith had another one late in the game after a absolutely amazing pass from Freddie Montero puts him into space and then he hits a cross kind of back to the top of the penalty area where he's got a near post runner he's got a far post runner he hits it to the penalty spot where no one, I guess maybe he was expecting Freddie to be, but uh, no one was there. And, uh, and it was kind of a game that was just going like that where the Sounders didn't have a lot of the ball, but they were getting out on the break. They were having opportunities. 
and just being sort of wasteful with it. And then all of a sudden, uh, I guess it's, I think it's mild Robinson puts a ball over the top to uh, Brooks Lennon who gets there right at the end line puts has no one to really to cross it to. He's got a couple runners in the box, but the Sounders have it well covered. There's nothing, no danger there. But Brad Smith was a step late, ends up taking out Lennon, point to the spot, penalty, tie game. It ends there. A front, you know, that was really the only danger that Atlanta created the whole game. And they had, you know, for all their possession, they had almost 65% of possession. They they didn't generate almost any danger. Like they had a couple shots from outside the box. I don't know that they had really any dangerous looks from inside the box. Uh, they were even essentially on expected goals with the Sounders minus the penalty point three. They both generated about point. It was a boring game, frankly. Uh, there wasn't a lot going on in terms of like challenging the goal, uh, but definitely a game where I think the Sounders should have been able to put it away early to the point where that penalty doesn't matter where the missed penalty doesn't matter either for that matter. And they just, you know, they just kind of missed it a little bit. And what was so frustrating, I think is we had gotten so used to them being pretty lethal on the, on the counter up until now, like they've, they haven't dominated games this year, but when they've needed to get goals, they found them pretty reliably. Yeah. I think prior to the penalty, this game didn't feel entirely different from, you know, like the, galaxy or lafc game where you know a slightly better pass in one instance and the sounders have a two goal lead and maybe that penalty play doesn't even happen you know um i think it is still a frustrating result to have come out of that game but they're gonna have off games every once in a while and certainly could have could have been a worse result for sure for yeah you could definitely see how that game could could have gone differently i suppose but i i do think one thing that we can take away from this is the sounders defense i think is every bit as good as it seems to be on paper like they aren't they aren't allowing much you know ariaga i think that this especially this trio of ariaga jamar and nuhu has been especially good. Uh, Roldan and Smith are plenty effective on the wings as both defenders and attackers. Uh, maybe not the most consistent attackers, but they both provide something going both ways. But I'm, I really like this trio of, of center backs that they have. And, you know, I want to throw this one to you, Dave. Nuhu has been maybe even better than I think people appreciate. He has been, I mean, like, Last week after the LAFC game, we talked about it where Schmetzer made this comment about how people should just stop trying to beat Nuhu over the top because he's it's not going to happen. And Atlanta didn't really try to beat Nuhu over the top. They just kind of stopped picking on him. But Nuhu still found ways to get into the game. Uh, what are you? What's tell us a little bit about Nuhu, uh, Dave? I've been hyping him up a little bit, and and partially because. Uh, I mean, football references the very easy counting stats for defense defenders. Yeah. And you can compare like his per 90 numbers. And I, I've done it for the last three defenders of the year. And Nuhu is basically better than them at tackling, at winning tackles, at interceptions, at clearances, at blocks. I mean, 
all three of them a lot They're better like in some yeah in, in, in some cases very much better yeah. um he is having more defensive actions than those guys and early in the season it was because coaches like adrian heath were like well knew who's going to be the weak spot so they went at him more than anybody else and that didn't work out and so now they're trying to avoid new who and so all he's doing is tucking in more central being just as active which is what we saw against atlanta united and then one thing that he does that opara aaron long and walker zimmerman weren't able to do is dribble so when he wins the ball um because he's a former left back he's used to carrying the ball forward he doesn't have to just punt it clear and that's breaking you know modern mls the majority of the teams now like their uh, their forwards and wingers to press a little bit and uh, none of them are a good enough defender to stop new from dribbling which we saw the early yellow card and then the exact same tackle a minute later from the same guy right um the the exact same tackle i don't know why the first one was a yellow and not the second to be honest the first one probably shouldn't have been a yellow which is why the second one wasn't but um you know what new who is right now is as complete a package as a defensive player has been like the only area he lacks is aerial duels and for a guy who i think he's listed at like 510 but you and i have stood next to him and that's a probably a generous height for for him he's mostly doing it he's winning area when he wins an aerial duel it's because of a low center of gravity and a strong upper body not because he's a six foot four giant like yamar is um so he's got that and schmetzer mentioned the shielding of the play but we're also seeing i think he's reading these passes better than a lot of people are giving him credit for and um he still do, does all the funky stuff that turned him into a, a meme, but yeah. uh, whatever. Um, it, now he's doing it and he's playing at the same level as the best center backs in the history of the league. Um, and for me, when, when you have new doing that and basically controlling over 40%, that lets uh, Yamar and, and Javier Arriaga do more interesting stuff as well. We know Javi loves to dribble forward. Uh, Great lines with passes. Yeah. So they can get, they're interesting because you, you, you essentially it's a three back set. And then all of a sudden you look and there's really only one defender back as two of these center backs are up and Seattle doesn't really play with a traditional defensive mid anymore. Cause Jao Paulo is up and Kellen Rowe is up. And Christian Roldan's up. And so all of a sudden, it's like all the weight is on Nuhu. And right now, that's fine because the best defense in the league is putting more pressure on Nuhu than is reasonable. And uh, it's working. It, it's like, hey, you're going to learn a new position. And uh, also, um, sometimes when we counterattack, it's going to be you and the keeper. And that's all they need. You know, and it was, it was, a, there was a few interesting moments. He did dribble, I think, more than we had seen him. And I think part of that was Atlanta's game plan to me looked like it was to let, especially Jamar and Nuhu do more dribbling. I don't know if that was on purpose, but they definitely seemed to be giving them the room to do that. And Nuhu was more than happy to take some of that space. And for the most part, it was fun. like, I don't think he got himself into too much trouble that way. But there were a couple of times where 
I wanted him to release runners a little earlier than, and I, and like there was one in the first half where he had Will Bruin streaking down the left and he cut it back to the middle, ends up getting picked off. And uh, you know, he knew who showed a little frustration, didn't get back as fast as I would have liked, but I'll, I'll grant him that. And then there was another one late in the game where he took the ball up the left side and he had Brad Smith streaking down. And I wanted, I kept just like release him, release, like let him go. And he, he unfortunately held it a little bit too long on that one, but if he can start doing that, if he can start hitting that pass a little early, if he starts seeing that, you know, that's a real game breaking potential right there. If you have your center back drip breaking lines with the dribble and then, and releasing runners up the field, that could be some, some fun stuff. And I think that's the thing that's most encouraging about new who is that he's learning a new position. He's, he's playing it at an elite level in some ways and in other ways, he's almost putting himself into kind of redefine what a left center, you know, what a, a, a center back can do in these situations. And it's really exciting to think like how good he might be by the end of the season. If he continues to get into this rhythm, if he continues to build confidence, uh, if he continues to be this shutdown defender, and then also throws in some of this ability to get forward break lines you know, jumpstart the offense, that kind of thing. So I, it wasn't a game without positive signs, I would say. Uh, it was just a game where the Sounders, I think, got a harsh reminder of the the thin line between success and failure, right? Especially in MLS. Like there's the gap between winning 3-0 and tying 1-1, pretty small. It's also, I think... Uh it's easy to forget because we basically haven't seen the Eastern conference for a year and a half. Yeah. Um, Atlanta is actually okay right now. They aren't the woeful Frank DeBoer Atlanta. They might not be as good as. Yeah. They're, they, they're, they're in good shape. They're in good shape right now. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not a Titan anymore, but they're still pretty good. They're fourth in the East or fifth or, you know, and Seattle did fine. You know, when you take that into account, you draw once in a while at home against a team that could be a conference semifinalist. That's to be honest, that's okay. Like, yeah, the, the, we can all nitpick about the, the various moments and we would have loved to have dominated, but it's not like it was Cincinnati or anything, you know, like it's fine. It, it is a, it is a fine result. And I think you can look at it as if you look at it on a, on a macro scale of saying you got 17 home games. If you tie one or two of them, it's not, a, it's obviously not the end of the world. Uh, but when you, you know, I think what's frustrating about it, you were well-rested, you were against a team that you felt you were better than you had it all kind of lined up. This felt like a game that should have been three points. That said, if they get three points against Austin, which that would be, now that would be, if, if they don't get three points against Austin, I think you have to start maybe asking some questions about, uh, the sustainability of what the Sounders actually did the first six games of the season. But, uh, you know, assuming they can get back, they pick up where they left off. I think there's every reason to feel like this has been a very successful half. Uh, Tim, was there anything in this, in this game that, that maybe gives you pause and, and makes you wonder if, you know, maybe we've overstated how good they looked early on? You know, I, I think there are things from that game that, do give me a little bit of pause, but not necessarily in a way that makes me question what came in the games leading up to it. I think the things that are 
concerning to me from that game are largely in the vein of like Atlanta didn't really, as much as they held possession, they didn't do anything to stop the Sounders by and large. The Sounders did not get the three points because they failed to execute, whether that's in those transition opportunities that, you know, a slightly better pass or a faster decision results in a goal. But the Sounders also, even when they're playing in a transition game, because that's what the opponent is offering to them, they do still want to be a team that takes care of the ball. And they just didn't do a good job of that. And not because Atlanta was putting the locks on them. They just were not passing especially well. And I think, you know, Brian Schmetzer and his coaching staff have tape that they can look at and they can point to guys and say, this is where you made a mistake. This is how we're going to fix it. And I think we have, you know, we have the track record with this team and with those coaches that they're going to figure those things out. But it, I mean, we're still seven games into the season, but these are some of the same problems that we were seeing three games into the season that, seemed like they'd maybe gone away to a certain degree and they're cropping back up again. Um, But I mean, those are not huge concerns. Those are just, you know, maybe the margin between a tie and a win in a game like this one. You know, if there was one player who I think was maybe emblematic of that struggle was Christian Roldan, who has been probably the MVP of the Sounders this year and maybe the MVP of the league. If you just say, through seven games he and so i don't want to denigrate christian because everyone's allowed an off game right but he had i think his his lowest passing the lowest total number of passes he's had at least since the lafc game if not and maybe even lower than that one i think he had the fewest number of completed passes uh he he just was he looked a little off throughout he didn't i don't i would imagine like i don't have his his uh, kilometers covered stat. Like I don't, I don't get the second spectrum numbers on that, but I would suspect that it was probably a little lower than the normal. And he just didn't, he looked like a player who has played a lot and he has, you know, he's gone 90 minutes every game uh, and he's been asked to do a lot. He's been asked to do a lot of aggressive running, a lot of high, high intensity kind of sprints that, you know, he has, he probably wouldn't have to do quite as often if he was playing a line back instead of as this, you know, to take a Matt Doyle term as a central winger uh, where he's, he's doing a lot of his damage with the runs that he's making almost as much as anything he's doing with the ball at his feet. Um, and that's it. He still was able to make some really nice, like he turned the corner on, on defenders a couple of times. He put in some dangerous crosses. Uh, one that stands out to me was he, he put in a cross to Rui Diaz who uh, I, I don't think he was, it wasn't a penalty, but you know, he put one in that uh, Rui Diaz had, knocked away right at the last second there was a little bit of contact but it wasn't a foul I'm not trying to say that but it was a good it was a good play by rolled on to 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 make it and uh, he put the ball where he needed to put it just a good defensive play to to keep it out Uh, but yeah I mean I I think this is also a a team this is also where you start to see you know the Sounders have done a good job I think of using the available bodies that they have like they're getting a lot out of it but the bench is still not being used particularly deeply. Uh, and, you know, this is where they maybe miss, like you can easily imagine Nico Ladero being out there and this game being very different. 
You could even see a Josh Atencio out there who I guess reaggravated the injury that uh, we thought he was over and he was in line to play this weekend, but he ended up not making the roster. So I w- hopefully we'll find out that wasn't, you know, hopefully he'll be back sooner than later, but I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them just put him on the shelf for the rest of the, for this last one, game and right. Yeah. The one game left, but what do you, what do you make of this Dave two subs in this game? I don't think, I think Schmetzer's only used all five subs once. Uh, is that just acknowledging that they have a short bench or is it, what, what do you, what do you make of it? Well, it's, they often do play with a short bench too, because the, the roster is shorter than most MLS teams. Yeah. And then you get three injuries and all of a sudden in, in this era where the 18 is actually a 20 and the Sounders are usually with 17 or 18 healthy. Yeah. Um, sometimes that's even three keepers to get to that number. Uh, and then again, a lot of the bench options are uh, young dudes. Um, before you hit record, I said that their defiance rosters older than than the Sounders bench because uh, it's Danny Leva, it's Reed Baker Whiting, it's Josh Atencio when healthy kind of thing. Um, Ethan Dobelary. Ethan Dobelary, yeah, I forgot about Dobelary. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a lot of youth. And, um, you know, this bench, the, the, the subs this time made sense. Um, you know, for all the idea of putting more energy out there, if the player is not as good as the guy he's replacing, sometimes the difference in energy isn't enough. Right. Um, yeah. And I would have, like usual, uh, we ran into it a lot in the summer of 2020. I think that uh, not in this game where the subs weird, but it's the, the midweek games where you have a lead and you don't see like double or triple subs to, just try and rest guys. Uh, uh, and I, I just think that's a, you know, Brian's adapted quite a bit as a coach. We've seen him be a possession guy. We've seen him be a counter guy. We've seen him do a four, two, three, one. We've seen him do a three, four, two, one. We've seen another, you know, other variants and those are all working. Uh, the bench stuff is one of the very rare cases where uh, there can be any cr- criticism for Brian Schmetzer and for all the criticism, for all that's done is, uh, you know, he made MLS Cup last year without using all of his bench options very often, and he's the got the Supporter Shield leading team right now without using his bench. So, um, as as usual, when it comes to the Sounders and playing their kids, um, they're going to win trophies first and foremost, and then also once in a while develop a dude. Um, so, yeah, you know, minor, a very minor complaint, kind of like. Uh, your, your complaints about Christian is like, right. well, he's the team MVP for the year, but this was his worst game. Um, right. You, you know, it, it, that's the, the state of things. Yes. I'd like to see more subs, but also I, I enjoy watching the victory salute more than I do watching an 18 year old kid. Yeah. So you, you, you look at the roster of players they didn't use in this game, Reed Baker whiting, a 16 year old, you know, central midfielder. I don't know that we could have expected him to do much to change it. Shane O'Neill, you know, obviously a center back, uh, Danny Leva played Ethan Dobler, you know, ideally you'd like to see, you'd like to, you'd like to feel better about him coming in, but I don't know that we've seen anything from Dobler this year that suggests that he was going to be a game changer in this one. Spencer Ricci, obviously goalkeeper, AB Sissoko, a center back, Jimmy Madranda, maybe that's the one that you could have seen come in. Like maybe you could argue that he could have spelled Smith at the end, given them a little bit more energy. I don't know that that was a game-changing 
that doesn't scream game changer to me, but it has, I, I think that's, if there was a complaint, maybe it's get Madranda in for Smith at some point. Uh, but also Madranda is like basically at that point where he's barely healthy. Right. Like, and we don't exactly like, it's entirely possible that Madranda is not, is not totally fit. You know, he hasn't been playing a ton. You know, he had the, the assist against the galaxy and I don't I think he's played once since then. He's been in and out of the, on the injury list. I know that. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it, the, the point being here, there aren't a lot of great options for, uh, for Brian Schmetzer off the bench right now. Hopefully in the second half of the season, we get a little bit more, although whatever we get might be a little bit of a mirage because as soon as, you know, even if the Sounders get Ladero back on the 19th, when he comes back, they're probably going to still be without Raul Rui Diaz and potentially, you know, uh, hopefully Rui Diaz is the only one, but it, there's a possibility that, that uh, Javier Ariaga will also be at Copa America at that time. So, and then they could potentially lose Christian Roldan for the gold cup. So this summer could be dicey. And I think that just kind of, for me, it, it, it underscores the importance of collecting points when you can get them right. You know, it looks great on paper, seven or five Oh and two through seven games. That's great. That is the best start in franchise history. You should feel great about it. Uh, if they can get to six Oh and two, I think you got to feel great about going into the break. You're potentially up, you know, anywhere between three and, and six points on the supporter shield lead, all good feelings. Can't complain, but there's a big caveat. And we don't know what this team is going to look like in the summer because they're probably going to lose at least two or three guys for, you know, anywhere from four to six games. And we've seen this, we've seen this play out. We've, we, we know this song. Uh, the Sounders have had, had gone through this before where they start great and then they lose a bunch of guys in the summer and the season tails off. Uh, that's, you know, like it's not that different than what happened in 2019 where they, they started gangbusters. They started that season five Oh and one and, and they, you know, it ended well, right? They won MLS Cup. They hosted they hosted uh, MLS Cup even that year. But they also needed to have a really strong finish to get there because there was a midseason lull where they kind of were struggling a bit more to get points, and that and that was largely due to international absences, if if memory serves. And you know, but my point is like you got to the points that are available. You got to like you don't give away points that you that are attainable. That's the point I'm trying to make here. And, and I would hate to regret, I'd hate to look back on this one and be like, man, remember that Atlanta game where we could have won. We really should have claimed all, all six points there or all three points there. But these are, these are complaints on the margins. I think there's a lot more to feel good about this team right now. There's, you know, their depth has been tested. It, it looks good. Uh, they maybe added a little bit more with Sissoko, you guys can can you either of us tell us anything about uh, the center back the Sounders just signed AB Sissoko? He spent the last year at uh, year plus at at Tacoma Defiance. He's a big kid. Uh, he's twenty one. He's from France, and apparently his English is really good too. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he his English is sort of surprising to a lot of people, but he has been in the U S for a while. He'd been playing, yeah. you know, amateur semi pro for a year or two before joining this, the 
defiance. Uh, Do we know anything about his journey? Like, how did he? He came from France to sign with some PDL team. How did? What was? Do we know that story? um, He is from this tiny French town of like forty thousand people that somehow has like seven French footballers that you've heard of, including his uncle, who is Demba Ba, and then who was once linked with the Sounders, I believe. Um, is a um, owner of the San Diego NISA club. And so that's kind of where, when AB was signed by Defiance and then loaned down there, that was why. But I think he was, I think the PDL portion of Sissoko's journey is because that small connection, I I guess Demba must have visited on a vacation at some point in his life and really (laughs) liked it. Um, Like San Diego. Yeah, you know, it happens. So yeah, uh, it, it, it's a pretty, uh, that's how we wound up. That's how AB wound up in San Diego. Um, and then it was part of uh, that European scouting network that Kurt and Chris had developed a few years ago. Um, AB um, was played for like, I think it was a French third division team in, in that Parisian suburb, but it's really, um, it's a fascinating tiny little club and suburb that um is basically a, a one of those football factories and that's where he came up and so and that's probably a little bit of why his play is uh, much more comfortable with the ball than a typical center back at the age of 21 tim do you have any more insight into his playing style as uh what do we see from him at the defiance? He's a big kid. Uh, he looks like he's got a, a MLS body at the very least. Yeah. I mean, he certainly has the size and strength to be able to handle MLS forwards, which I think sort of circling back a little bit to new aerial duels situation as like a maybe five ten center back. Um, I interjected into a Twitter conversation last week at some point where there was a discussion about uh, Julian Araujo, the LA Galaxy right back slash RCB who has similarly to Nuhu been moved back to that spot this season a bit more and was playing really well and someone voiced a concern about his ability going up against MLS forwards and I kind of got intrigued by that and started looking only 10 of the top 30 players listed as forwards by MLS in terms of minutes played are six foot or taller. So MLS forwards just are not big by and large. And I think even in those 10, only like four or five of them were what you would consider like tall by athlete measures where they're like six or taller um but ab i think it's it's kind of tough because you know in 2020 playing with tacoma defiance that team was doing a lot of scramble defense um and you know he certainly is capable of making last ditch tackles he has good body control and is able to get his frame down to the ground and sort of wrapped around a guy without making contact that could be deemed a foul. I think he's really smart in how he uses his body. Um, 
he's a good passer. He can hit the long passes that, you know, Javi really shines with, but J-Mar can hit and is the sort of thing that, you know, if Nuhu could turn that into part of his game would be really great. He, over the offseason, became Tacoma Defiance's primary penalty kick taker and hit easily one of the best penalties I've ever seen in their opener against Los Dos, where he did the goofy like stutter step thing that so many people hate, but used it well and then (laughs) absolutely roofed it it in a way that like I genuinely thought he missed until I noticed that the ball was inside of the net as the net riffled. Like I thought he had just skied it, but he put so much power behind that, like mm-hmm. with a short stutter step run up too. Cause it's not just stutter steps. He's only like a yard off the ball. Um, yeah. It was a it, thing of beauty. I, I do wonder how, I don't know how useful that particular attribute is necessarily, but you know, why not? Right. Maybe it's maybe, good to have in your locker for, for sure. It's good. It's maybe it's a good trick to show everyone in training at the very least. If you can get, say, Raul, I, you're so good. It would be great if you could also be automatic from the penalty spot. Watch this one weird trick that I know. Become the best penalty taker with this one weird trick. Uh, this is the trick that goalkeepers don't want you to know. Right. Exactly. There you go. That's his head. That's his, that's his, his YouTube headline right well, there. Seattle's had a, a primarily defensive player be their lead penalty taker in the past i mean it's, brad yeah. evans was nine for nine doing it um, they were. I, although i have a feeling nico ladero is not gonna like easily give up or like rui diaz particularly seems, not to the 21 year old <laughs> yeah, exactly and rui diaz seems inclined to like like rui diaz should be great at it uh and and I, yet and yet he doesn't seem to be uh but i don't know that he's gonna give up his when nico is not out there i don't know if if what you're gonna have to do to get the ball away from Rudy I, th- I think ab might be on the might make the five if there were some yeah. for, form of shootout and that's yeah. just because the coaches would make it happen right but <laughs> yeah nico jp and and raul are going to be the guys that we see take those not right. in a standard game situation yeah yeah well uh Anyway, that's that's probably a good place to go. The, the centers also did make one other signing, Andrew Thomas. I don't know that either one of you know anything about him. It. I will say that did they was, sign him or dra- I think they just traded well, he for was his rights already. and drafted him. They, oh, because so he was already under contract. He was already under contract, exactly. So the apparently at the end of the college season, MLS came like signed three kids from colleges who presumably had options to go other, overseas otherwise, and so they made like a special waiver draft the Sounders actually traded up uh with the Chicago Fire to get the number one pick in that in that draft they gave 50,000 in allocation money so there must be something about this Andrew Thomas uh character that the Sounders really like he was a three-year starter at Stanford he grew up in England went to uh played in the Watford Academy uh he had really good college numbers I mean he's by all by all estimations he was one of the best college goalkeepers and I certainly trust Tommy Dutra's assessment. I don't know that there's any reason to think that he's going to get playing time with the first team anytime soon. Like, I don't, I don't see him jumping over, uh, certainly not Stefan Fry, but I don't even know that I, I see him 
getting over Cleveland or Richie right now, but I haven't seen him. Pl- I haven't really seen him play. So who knows? Uh, I, I am curious if they see him as potentially getting some minutes at like Christian Herrera. We n- not to get too down in the, in the weeds on Christian on the Tacoma defiance, but he's, he's got three shutouts or two shutouts. He's given up one goal. He's got, he's probably working on a 200 plus minute shutout streak uh, for the defiance right now. They only played one week this season, but they played three games. Uh, do do you think he's someone that that will get some time at at Defiance, Dave? And the Thomas, I expect that's where we'll see him. I mean, this organization is collecting goalkeepers this year. Like in the past few, they've collected left backs. Um, yeah, because uh, Mew's out away on loan, and then they drafted another dude who's right. whose rights they control. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> they have seven keepers, kind of in the organization um, in some capacity or not. So yeah, I expect to see him at, at defiance. Um, Herrera, uh, Tim and I have talked about great quick reactions, really tall, um, not Hunter Salty size, but I think he's six, six lanky. Um, going to need to like most that come into this organization, going to struggle a little bit as he learns to play with the ball at his feet. Um, because Dutra is a big fan of that. We've, we've seen it continue to ramp up. Even Stefan Fry, when he first got here, wasn't as good as, it, as he is now. But Herrera's on a defiance contract, and Thomas is on a, on a Sounders MLS deal. Uh, so I would expect we eventually see Thomas, you know, even if it's picking up uh, home starts more frequently so that he can spend mm-hmm. more time with the first team and Tommy rather than Josh Ford and, and Tacoma. Who who have they been even using on the off the bench for? This is really getting into the weeds, but who has Conrad Lee? Conrad Lee, who is uh, from the academy. Yeah, yeah, he's that's the kid from New Hampshire, right? I, I believe so. Yeah. Now I'm really getting in the weeds, so we're clearly at the point where the podcast <laughs> can probably be uh, called. Well, a, was that a, or talk about Austin FC and? Yeah, we're going to do that later in the week, though. We don't need to get any. Do you have any Austin FC thoughts? I, I will ask if you if there's something you want to say. I know I <laughs> I've seen bits and pieces of a couple of their games and I sat down and I watched a bunch of their highlights today. They. Man, if the Sounders don't win this game, there's something like really... they're trying to do something right. Like they are building something that there's a system that they're following, but it it is not something that should trouble the Sounders. Like, Yeah, I'm sure that there is something that they're building towards from the highlights. They, one, they don't seem like they create much on their own. It seems like most of their goals and their attacking opportunities come from mistakes on the mm-hmm. other team's part that they turn into a transition. Um, they're... I think Diego Fagundes might be tied for most goals on their team, which is not a great sign for any MLS team. Um, he's been in the league for like 15 years and he's like, he's 20 something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's not a bad player, but he also probably like one of the guys you paid a bunch of money for should be your main goal scorer. I would think. Um, I, they definitely seem to be taking that slow approach. Mm-hmm. to forming their team like they're willing to wait and have this identity and ideal and i don't know that that tends to work in mls i feel like every other expansion team that's like we're going to take our time to establish an identity and 
then you wind up with a coach that gets fired. Yeah. I, I was looking at American soccer analysis um, at their goals added for teams and the only team that is rated worse by that metric on their website is Cincinnati. Um, not great company. No, that's really not where you want to be. And it gets, <laughs> it's much more forgivable if you are a first year expansion team than an MLS team that spent $15 million on a player this yeah. off season. But uh, I think that, the Sounders have a good opportunity to exercise any demons they may be dealing with after Atlanta. Yeah. They, they had five goals scored. Uh, they've scored five goals. So it's not a team that's generating a ton of offense. Um, and they're on the, I think the seventh game of a season opening eight game road trip, which is, you know, like in some ways I would rather be the second to, I think this benefits the Sounders weirdly. It's, it's probably better to be, the second to last opponent than the last opponent. Cause the last opponent, you can kind of like, no, we got to, we just go for it with this one. But this one, this I'm sure there's like a lot of uh, mixed emotions with this one. So Sounders need to take advantage of this one. I think that's fair to say, uh, go into the break, feeling good about themselves. Hopefully they come back on the other end with uh, a big addition of Nico Ladero. Maybe Steph Fry is back shortly after that. Hopefully Josh Atencio is back. Uh, you know, I'm hearing good things about their confidence in making some sort of uh, notable signing in the summer transfer window. So, you know, a lot of things, if, if they can get into this break undefeated, I think they got to feel really good about themselves. Uh, they should, and they should do it. They, they absolutely, they should go into this one feeling that way. So uh, we're going to call that a segment. Thank you so much, uh, a show, I guess. Uh, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us. I am Jeremiah O'Shan signing off on behalf of Tim Foss and Dave Clark. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we will catch you next time.